With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production, and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family-owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. Oh, one more beer. Podcast with Miller and Dates and the Grips of Women. Is it desolation time up there in Iowa, Steve? Yes, John, it's desolation time. Yeah. Okay, I was just checking. Um, I mean, it's been like. I'm sure you were. Yeah. It's been like like 25, 30 some days here. It's freaking ridiculous. I had to go buy like a, a real, real genuine winter jacket today. First time in like five years. I don't like it. Gave all that stuff to Goodwill. Sorry a few years for your ago. loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I, I'm going Zobble now, aren't I? I life is I full circle. It. Time is a flat circle. Yeah, of course you do. Uh, I, I would have, I'd be in Texas if it was, was up to me, but it's not up to me. So yeah, I was going to say um, land of milk and honey, yeah. and no taxes, yeah. and no state income tax. Yeah, right. Three seasons and no state income tax. That's where I would be. But uh, I've been outvoted four to one on that decision here. Uh, in West, in, in the West Des Moines Board of Directors. So. Really? Equal, equal, uh, equal power to all voting members of the board? Most of the time there's not, um, but every now and then a decision is, well, let me put it this way. Um, unlike how we act in the real world, here at our, at the, the Days Homestead, we actually believe in checks and balances, so. Right. I know in the real, I know in the real world a judge can issue an opinion on literally anything. And the rest of the rest of society immediately begins imposing it as if it's the new law. But I could make the decision that we are moving to Texas. If the other four members of this household decide they do not view that as a just ruling and therefore are not willing to carry it out, then really all I did was blog. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying here? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've made I've made the decision to move to Texas seventy five times. I, I've I've rendered that ruling on on an almost weekly basis this time of year. But 
I can't get anybody in the other branch of government to actually carry forth my edict. So it just kind of sits here lonely. Doesn't uh, doesn't work out like that. Um, there are a lot of people listening to this uh, in in around Iowa that are Vikings fans. I mean, yeah, I. Obviously, Tate to Holloway came to mind with what took place between Minnesota and New Orleans. But I, I don't know that I recall many NFL games, certainly not playoff games, that ended on something like that. You see it at the college level because you have breakdowns in discipline. More mm-hmm. so there because, the you know, it's college and the NFL. You never see something like that in the NFL. That was unbelievable. It was. And, you know, in some respects... It's the reverse karma of, yeah. of what, what's happened to Vikings fans so many times. I mean, the term Hail Mary, as we understand it, goes back, you know, Roger 35 Staubach, right? years ago. Roger Staubach to Drew Pearson in the divisional playoffs in the old Metropolitan Stadium against the Vikings. Yeah. You know, so had the Vikings lost today, to put this in perspective, it would have been the worst playoff loss of all time. Because no team had ever lost a playoff game at home that they led by 17 points with seven, with less than 17 minutes to play. Mm. In fact, the only, the only postseason game that a team had ever won in those circumstances was last year's Super Bowl with that incredible 28 to 3 comeback by Tom Brady. Uh, so you throw in Gary Anderson, you throw in Darren Nelson, did he get in against the Redskins? Then you throw in, um, you know, what happened with uh, the aforementioned Hail Mary we just talked about. All of the ways Viking, the Vikings have invented ways to lose playoff games in the past. All of that, this would have topped them all. And instead, they end up with, I mean, it's, it's up there, depending on how the season ends now. You know, that, that Cowboy team that did that to the Vikings went on to the Super Bowl. You know, you look at the Immaculate Reception. Uh, that ended up being a Super Bowl title for the Steelers. So, you know, if, if they go out to Philadelphia next week and lose 20 to 3, that was a nice moment for Minnesota Vikings fans and the rest of us move on. But if, if they at least get to host a Super Bowl and no team has ever hosted a Super Bowl in their home stadium, the closest I think was the 49ers. In Super Bowl 19, hosted it in Palo Alto, right there in their backyard. Was that 84? It's never, you've ne- no one, 84, yeah. That, no one's ever truly been a home team in a Super Bowl. So if they get they get that far, then this will go down as one of the you know top five all time deciding plays in the history of the NFL playoffs. No doubt about it. Yeah, that uh, Niners Super Bowl that you just mentioned, they were against the Dolphins. That was Dan Marino's either rookie or second year. might have been his rookie year. Second year when he had the eight, the uh, 48 touchdowns. Yeah, and, that w- and that's the only Super Bowl Dan Marino ever played in, which is crazy to think that. But yep. anyway, um, Iowa basketball last week finally got a win in conference play. Uh, beating winless Illinois. I think Illinois is still winless. I'm not sure if they played in this weekend or a lot. Let me check here real quick. But um, they beat Illinois. Yeah, no, that was their last game. They play uh, Nebraska later tomorrow. So Iowa won that game 104-97 in overtime. And, again, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say they're back. It is nice to see them win. It was nice. You know, that first half Iowa was looking pretty rough again. Um, but Luca Garza. You know, and I, I tweeted this out in, I think it was December 19th, because I retweeted it today, and I had a lot of people scoff at me. I, I think that this kid's going to be a first-team All-Big Ten player before he's done. 
and I know that that was just Illinois, but he's actually started to play better uh, against you know Power Five teams the last couple of weeks, and. There was a move that he made from the top of the key with the ball and spun and went in. I'm like, that looked like a little Frank Kaminsky starter kit. He just really gives <laughs> so much effort. I like the way that he looks, and um, really nice game for him. Tyler Cook's going out and getting his. Um, I guess, if anything, Steve, it was just nice to see Iowa on the winning side. Well, you know, the good thing about that game, and, and when you talk about Garza and uh, – what, that's what you're, what you're looking for right now is you're looking for two things if you're an Iowa fan. You're looking for future player development to create optimism for the future. Right. The other thing you're looking for is effort. And you know, I'm sitting here watching Big Ten basketball and beyond here on the screen while you're talking. And I'm looking at a lot of teams in this league that have one to, to three wins. And I know it seems weird because it seems like we just started the college basketball season to most people, but there's only 12 games left. I mean, we're almost to the halfway point of the Big Ten season, mm-hmm. and there's a whole bunch of teams that have one to three wins. I think there's clearly Nine. a tier of, a, a tier of teams that have, that are ahead of everybody else. And then after that, though, one or two of those teams is going to break out. And have a strong second half of the conference season. And we're, we're not going to have a bunch of teams go six and twelve, five and thirteen. Someone in that group's going nine and nine, ten and eight, and maybe find themselves on the on the right side of an NIT bubble. Which you know what I think about the NIT. But if you're a team like Iowa that didn't make it last year, and that is the extra practice time you're looking for to develop a team. That's what you care about as a fan more than what, how many games you actually win in that tournament or not. Someone's going to break out of that. And, you know, I, I can make a case for Iowa. Like, I can make a case for Northwest. I don't know if I can make a case for Northwest after what I watched today. But, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can make this case for any of these teams. If I had to guess which one it would be, gun to my head, and you made me choose, I'd probably pick Penn State. But I think I, you can make a case for Wisconsin. Anybody really other than Illinois and Rutgers, you can make a case for being that team. And that's what you're holding on to right now if you're an Iowa basketball fan. And and you want to remain at least moderately interested in this the rest of the way. The black and gold unites us all. But then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know that you can make a case for Iowa, you know, talking, you know, postseason other than NIT, and I don't even think that. But, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, right now you've got Purdue and Ohio State at 6-0, and so you have a lot of other teams in the crumbs down the bottom end of things as well. You know, speaking of postseason, 
Um, something that you pointed out to me this week that was interesting, that I found interesting. The differences between Ken Pomeroy and his rankings and the RPI and what they put out. And you and I have both been paying attention to you know the RPI for as long as we've been alive or as long as it's been a thing, which is probably you know at least three quarters of our lives. But Ken, mm-hmm. Ken Pomeroy's metrics, you know, in recent years, especially to the the basket, the college basketball junkies and aficionados, they are you know tempo free analytics that take a look and analyze teams based upon. Not just like, oh, how many points per game does this team average? Because those, those things can be misleading. You know, you talked about point, points per possession, um, offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. And I'm not sure that I have my mind around 100% even of what he does. But I've kind of learned how to understand the rankings within his metrics. And there's quite a big difference between how Ken Pomeroy sees the Big Ten and how the RPI sees the Big Ten. There's a chasm of difference. And when you mention the methodology that, that Ken Pomeroy uses in his rankings, and as we've talked about the RPI in the past here on the podcast, it goes back to 1993, really, and it became more publicized, their actual methodology in the late 90s, and that's where guys like Jerry Palm and others began doing their own regular season RPI ratings. Um, that we didn't know what those were for right. many years until tournament time. And then a few years ago, they kind of got tired of the alleged secrecy behind it. And now, um, they let their methodology out, uh, into the, into the jets, into the jet stream of the public. And then a couple of years ago, they tweaked it to put even more emphasis on teams that you're playing away from home. And that's where we've seen this proliferation now of these November tournaments that are really star-studded fields, the Guardian Classic, Battle for Atlantis, San Juan Shootout, all these places. You know, when you were growing up, there were three, right? There was the NIT, there was Alaska, and there was Maui. Mm-hmm. Now there's like uh, there's like ten of these now that can have some star-studded fields because of how much more heavily weighted the RPI doubly weights teams you play away from home. And when you look at what the RPI is intending to do is to take out how you play as the priority, and measure who you played. That's its end goal. Ken Pomeroy's rankings are are the exact opposite, meaning who you play matters, but his number one priority is how you play. You know, one of the when I hear you describe his methodology, it reminds me of the game control stat that is a, a heavy data point metric that the college football playoff committee uses. Okay? So... When you see the differences in what their priority of, of, of their methodology is, that, I think that explains this, the chasm. So I'm looking at the Big Ten and the RPI coming into today, all right, coming into today. And today is, hard, can you believe this, nine weeks until Selection Sunday. Mm. And much of, many of, many, much of the country is just now beginning to pay attention to college basketball. Okay, so here's here's what the RPI says about the Big Ten heading into today. Purdue was number nine, only Big Ten team in the top ten. Ohio State was twenty five. Michigan, Sparty twenty six. Michigan thirty two. Those are the only Big Ten teams in the top forty of the RPI. Maryland at forty seven. Nebraska seventy one. Minnesota eighty four. 
Northwestern 97. Again, that's coming into today. Those were the only Big Ten teams in the top 100 of the RPI. Yeah, and that's and that's five teams in the top 47. And Maryland at 47 would be a bubble team and probably on the wrong side, possibly on the wrong side of it. Right. The way they're playing, they've lost two starters for the year. You're right. Okay. So that that's that's the formula that is used to measure who you've played. Now, whether we like it or not, the committee has let it be known. Pomeroy's rankings are not even a part of what they look at when they get together that last weekend of the season and, and over championship week in Indianapolis. And the RPI reigns supreme. Now, what do I mean by reign supreme? Well, it, it doesn't necessarily reign supreme in seeding of the teams. They, they use the S-curve process and the, and the potting process. So top four seeds get favorable treatment in terms of locale. And then they have the S-curve where they, they try to have an evenly weighted four, you know, regions. And it's, an, they can't always do that. There's usually one that's tougher and there's usually one that's weaker. Uh, um, but, the RPI in terms of who gets in, it doesn't reign supreme in seeding, but in terms of who gets in, yeah, it pretty much does. I mean, if you, if you don't have a top 60 RPI, there's there's a 3% chance or less you're getting an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. That's just the bottom line. All right? Now, if you go to the Ken Palm rankings, though, and I think you and I would both agree because it measures how you played, we, we think this tells us more about these teams. I, I think did, I went back yeah. and looked – looked last year going back to i think it was 2002 or maybe when he started this or a little bit later and i think i only found one team in his top 50 that didn't make or only two or three teams in his top 50 ever that didn't make the ncaa tournament uh, either as an at-large and automatic and i think two of them it was like missouri state or another missouri valley conference team so yeah and the third team was though, the third team was iowa like four years ago Right, in Iowa, I was going to say Iowa was one of them, yes. So this is this doesn't tell – even though the committee doesn't look at this, this actually does a pretty good job of weighing who eventually gets into the tournament. And as we're about to see here, Ken Pomeroy's ratings are much more higher on the Big Ten and Iowa than the RPI. So Iowa not in the top 100 of the RPI. Purdue is number two getting into today in Ken Pomeroy's ratings. Sparty, number six. Michigan 17. Michigan is 20 spots higher in Pomeroy's ratings than they are in the RPI. Michigan State is 19 spots higher. Ohio State is 20. Maryland is 41. So they're pretty close to where they are in the RPI there. Penn State is at 45. Hmm. That's like not even the top 145. I know. I know. Northwestern 63. Minnesota 69. Wisconsin 77, Nebraska 79, Iowa 86th, Illinois 94. So you can see Pomeroy's metrics of weighing how you're playing have much more beneficial things to say about the Big Ten than the RPI does when it weighs who you play. And then the RPI becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because a lot of the league's teams are not really good right right. now. Negative feedback loop. Yeah, the, the, yeah, exactly. You, the opportunity you're going to have to raise your RPI substantially this the last month and a half, not really good, you know. So if you're a Penn State and you're 45th in Pomeroy's rankings, which would would say going back to the genesis of, of Ken's of Ken's metrics, you've got a 95% chance or better to be an NCAA tournament team. But they're right now not in the top 100 RPI. You know what it means? You're it out. means they pretty much they need to win every conference road game the rest of the year. 
I know it sounds nuts. I don't have Penn State's schedule in front of me, but Penn State would almost be better off. I know it sounds crazy, but the way the RPI works, they would be better off winning every single road game than they would be trading two or three of those road wins for a win at home against Michigan State, Michigan, or even Purdue because of the way the RPI works. So I, I think I find I don't know that I've ever seen now in fairness, I've not I don't follow other conferences as closely in basketball as they do the Big Ten. I don't know though that I would I'd I'd venture a guess this sort of disconnect if we had Ken with us, because he would know his own data, this sort of disconnect has probably never existed in a Power 5 conference. Well, really with the Big East in basketball, we have a Power 6. And you could say the American really is a dominant league too, so maybe we have a Power 7. I I don't know, though, we've seen a major conference have this wide of a chasm between what Pomeroy's rankings think, John, and what the RPI says. That's... I think that's noteworthy. Yeah, it's it's definitely a detachment. Um, Penn State's got six more road games at Northwestern, at Ohio State, at Michigan State, at Illinois, at Purdue, and at Nebraska. They could go four and two uh, against that schedule. So, yeah, I think it depends on what those four are. One of them's got to be Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State. It has to be one of them. It has to be one of them. I mean, we we went we were thirty seventh. In the R, uh, we were. I, I'm trying to remember. We went up seven spots, I think, or 12 spots in the RPI, winning at Michigan State Saturday. So for Penn State, one of those road wins you mentioned has to be one of those three teams. Has to be. And for all you new listeners, when Steve says we, he means Michigan. So right. just want to make that clear. Um, want to circle back around to one thing football related uh, from last week that we t- discussed um, a week ago. On the podcast, James Daniels leaving, announcing that he's leaving Iowa early for the NFL, and um, you know we, we talked about that last week on the podcast. A little bit surprising considering his position. Kirk Ferentz said this last week about James Daniels: "Quote, I don't know if I've ever coached a more talented center prospect. That includes my time in the NFL. He's got some skills <laughs> that are just really unusual, and he's a really intelligent guy." Um, and one interesting thing about him, you get the feedback from the NFL folks that's strictly off film. They haven't even had a chance to investigate the kind of person that he is. Uh, I think Kirk also said something along the lines that he thought he could go and, and start at guard in the NFL right away next year. So, the priest, I mean, obviously Kirk's not going to say anything bad about his own players, but I don't know that he's going to go out and spend that type of uh, you know career capital on somebody if he didn't believe it. No, you're right. I, you know, the, the way this typically works, it is rare. I think you and I were still doing our morning show when Pete Carroll openly, publicly questioned Mark Sanchez going pro. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. Okay. And, and you're rarely going to get that. I, Brian Kelly did that last year with Deshaun Kaiser, but rarely will a coach do that. Why? Because it's a bad look in recruiting. And well, Pete Carroll went pro himself the very next year, so. We didn't have time to figure out did it hurt him, you know, recruiting or not because you're selling kids on the NFL. Every every Power Five school is selling kids on the NFL. Period, uh, because every kid thinks they're going to the NFL, and so you don't want your coach out there publicly blasting guys because it's a bad look in recruiting. Now, what will typically happen, and 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 I would venture this is probably what happens at a school like Iowa with a coach that has as much cachet in NFL circles as Ferentz does, is. 
you, you, you also can't be a coach who tells NFL scouts, oh, yeah, this kid is great when you know differently. Correct. Because then you're then you're hurting the, the stock of your players later on at the same time. So here's here's how this typical this game this time of year typically works. And for the next couple of months, as we get into the uh, the, the uh, you know, underwear Olympics known as NFL draft season, where we're going to sit here for four months, forget that in two games against an NFL farm team defense at Alabama. Deshaun Watson threw for 800 yards, eight touchdowns, and one interception. And we're going to say his hands are too small, and he's going to get drafted 12th. All right, that's what we're going to do for the next few months. Right? Here's the other thing we're going to do. What's going to happen is 99% of the time, when a coach goes to the wall publicly for a player like this, it's legit. And when the when he doesn't think a player is that good or has personal issues or shouldn't have gone pro, um, when we get past Senior Bowl and on is when the serious scouting really begins down the stretch. We'll hear that there's whispers and things of that nature. But, but you know, a coach isn't going to publicly say this guy comes from a – this guy's not focused, he comes from a bad home, uh, I wouldn't invest in him. He'll, he's going to tell probably Joe Scout that private, privately right. uh, in order to maintain his level of credibility. But when a guy goes to the wall like this for a prospect, it you know, Ference hurts his own stock with NFL scouts and future players that exactly. he wants to sell scouts on by if, if he over-exaggerates this guy's worth. So I think that's why you take this very seriously. Yep, no doubt. Last thing for this podcast, um, over the weekend, legendary, legendary broadcasting voice Keith Jackson passed away. I think it was 89 years of age. Uh, and Keith's been out of the game for quite some time. But when he was in the game... I don't know that there was any better painter of word pictures in a medium where you already had pictures. His words actually made television better. And you don't often find that with TV broadcasters. One of the things they teach you, uh, at least taught me when I was in broadcasting school, was, you know, if you're in radio, you need to paint a picture. If you're in television, you just need to provide you know, guiding commentary along the way. Don't don't say what you're seeing. Keith mm-hmm. Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson was a master at making what we saw better, adding gravity to it. Heck, towards the end of his career, his very presence lent gravity to any sporting event that he was at. And mm-hmm. I think Iowa against Illinois nineteen ninety I think he was doing that game and his comments, uh, you know, on the, the opening package that was done, you know, talking about this is where corn grows, but this is also where roses grow, things of that nature. And I think a lot of us, you know, Keith Jackson synonymous with the Rose Bowl. Keith Jackson nicknamed Michigan Stadium the Big House. He nicknamed mm-hmm. the Rose Bowl the granddaddy of them all. And he is truly one of the legends of his genre. Yeah, I um, I can't say enough about him. I, I just think uh, a lot of the most memorable times in my life that didn't involve, you know, family or things of eternal consequence, he was the narrator for. And, um, I mean, when you look at the Olympics – I know we know him as Mr. College Football. He was the original play-by-play man on Monday Night Football. Um, 
you know, he called the World Series on ABC for so many years when we were kids. The you know Reggie Jackson's legendary three home run game, he was on the mic for that. Him and Howard Cosell. Um, you know, you go back to the We Are Family Pirates. Back when they had the sweetest uniforms, man. Mm-hmm. You know, the Orioles wore that orange, and the Pirates had those bright yellow, you know, horizontal striped hats. He did those games. Uh, but he's primarily known as the voice of college football. And um, I've missed him, as I think I've told you. I've, I've missed him for several years. I, I, it is fitting his very last call was Vince, was Vince Young. He's going for the corner. And, and what many people think might be, it's clearly one of the greatest games of all time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that it is the greatest game ever played. And um, so many Big Ten games, Big Ten basketball, when we were growing up, uh, you know, ABC had that had that package in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, the last time we had a, you know, one of the times we had a Big Ten basketball zenith. And, you know, I remember, I think it was, was it 89, 90? And I want to say Michigan and Iowa played like some quadruple overtime game that just never ended or something. Yeah, I mean, it was just, um, you knew, you're right, you knew it was big time when he was on the mic. And um, I just, and what I love about him too is no scandal. No, didn't treat people well, and none of that. Just a guy from Georgia who went out to Washington State University. And while there, you know, got the bug on broadcasting and just just did it the right way. And, you know, I can still in my mind's eye, O.J. McDuffie, I can hear that voice, <laughs> you, know, in the, in, you know, in my mind's eye. Because so many of the best and most agonizing moments of my life, he narrated them, you know, and um, without a doubt. He will be missed. No doubt. All right, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.